If you can't get to StarCast 4, you can still be part of the fun. You can watch it as it happens or anytime you want by going to Fight.tv. That's Fight TV, November 8th and 9th. And ordering the StarCast 4 full pack. You get all these shows from StarCast 4 as they happen. Whether you're into the old school stuff like the Great American Baltimore panel or the Great Muda speaking on stage with Sonny Odo's as translator making history with Ron Simmons World Championship Women or We Made the Stars of StarCast, a panel starring the enhancement talent that made the stars or if you're a fan of what's going on now, A Boy and His Dinosaur, Killing the Business with the Young Bucks, Unhinged, the John Moxley story wonder what he's going to say. Inside the Roads, and so much more, including Crockett and the StarCast Talk Show. You can order it right now for $39.99 on Fight.tv, and you can watch it as it happens, or watch any time that you want. But not only that, if you order now, you get all the StarCasts. Four, three, two, one. Every single panel that's been broadcast on Fight TV, you get just for ordering StarCast 4, and you can watch whenever you want. That includes the CM Punk panel, that includes the Bret Hart panel, the Sting panel from StarCast Pass, and all these great exciting shows from StarCast 4, November 8th and 9th on Fight TV. November 8th and 9th on Fight TV, only $39.99 order today and be part of StarCast even if you can't make the trip. You'll be glad you did. Abuse of power. You. Abuse of power. Got me up. You will never ever wrestle Abuse of power. You suck. You hate your guts. You're a scam! You are a no good son of a bitch! Fire me! I'm already fired! Fire me! I'm already fired! Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Orn! And ladies and gentlemen, we have with us today the Hall of Famer. The founder of the Four Horsemen, the enforcer himself, Double A, Arn Anderson. How are you, man? I am outstanding. How are you? Man, better than I deserve. I am digging through all the positive feedback we got from last week's hashtag Ask Arn Anything. Uh, we got tremendous feedback. A lot of people said it was their favorite wrestling podcast ever. For whatever reason, man, people love hearing your thoughts on professional wrestling. And we got like all kinds of, uh, different topics covered last week. Tremendous feedback. What sort of, what sort of feedback did you hear about it? Exact same thing. I was actually at a uh, Comic-Con in Fayetteville for two days over, over the weekend. And, uh, a lot of people were really digging the podcast. Uh, you know, I said, Hey, be sure now get a hold of us through, uh, the Twitter and, and, and anything that you see that we can do better on or anything you'd like to talk about. Get it out there. And everybody seemed to be receptive. And like you said, everybody's enjoying it. They are enjoying it. If you haven't already follow us on Twitter, I think you'll dig it. It's at the Arn show. And uh, I'm excited to announce that right now we're going to go ahead and commit that we're going to do another Q and a episode next week. We had more than a thousand questions come in. There's no way we could have tackled them all. 
The only complaint we got from our Q and a episode was it wasn't long enough. We're going to fix that. We're going to get you more next week. Uh, so tell your friends, follow us at the orange show. We'll be doing a Q and a next week, but what we're talking about this week is a pretty monumental moment in wrestling history. Rick flair returns to nitro. Uh, by 1998, I think most of us remember Flair was gone for most of the year, really without any explanation on TV. And the casual fan may not have even known, is he retired? Is he injured? What's going on? Is he going to show up on Raw one night? Behind the scenes, he's embroiled in a bit of a feud with Eric Bischoff. Now that puts his best friend in a bad spot because Arn Anderson is now an agent for WCW. So he's working directly in the office and he's got to sort of toe the company line, but his best friend is, uh, embroiled in a lawsuit or a series of lawsuits with Eric Bischoff. Before we get into the heart of the matter, I should ask you, what's your relationship like with Eric now in 2019? Never really had a crossword with Eric from the beginning all the way through till till now um there were some things you know that that went on behind the scenes obviously that i was not privy to that really was was stout between he and rick and had i known about them it would have put me in the middle one way or the other but the fact is i had a job to do and my first you know, uh, responsibility was to the company and doing my job. And, and, and I think I was blessed in one, one respect. I don't think Eric or Rick tried to include me or so that I would have to take a side or, or have a, a distinct opinion about what was going on. I just, I, I think really it was none of my business to be honest with you. Well, that's encouraging to hear. Um, I, I guess both guys probably realized you were in a bad spot Let's talk about Eric Bischoff for a minute. Did you notice any change in Eric? I mean, Tony Schiavone has famously told the story that when Eric Bischoff went from just being an announcer, quote unquote, just an announcer to then being basically in control of WCW, he went to dinner, uh, with, and and they took their wives to dinner and all four of them are out. And Tony says, you know, uh, you're going to change. And Eric insisted, no, I'm not going to change. I'm going to be the same guy. And Tony says, no, you're going to have to change. That's what this job requires. Did you notice a change in Eric Bischoff just day to day? Well, when we very first started, um, Eric was, and I don't say just an announcer because we know what great announcers bring to the product. They get the talent over. They get the product over. Um, And Eric, from day one, was very professional in the way he handled his duties as an announcer. He would set me up perfectly. He wouldn't try to to, uh, steal the show or or overshadow me. He set me up in a businesslike manner, and I was able to do my job, which was to talk him in the building very easily. And I always appreciated that, and I always liked working with Eric uh, in that capacity. It was a shock, but it was not in one respect. One information that I was privy to was Rick was telling me, hey, this Eric Bischoff is a smart guy. He's a go-getter. He's hungry. He's uh, he's gun-ho. I'm going to push for him to get the job as the boss. And uh, I think he's, you know, with the attitude that he has, he, you know, after some of the 
the executives that we had had in the past that were Turner executives who didn't understand our product, really didn't want to be a part of our product, didn't like the product, and didn't necessarily want it on the air, period. Um, this would have been a refreshing, you know, to have a wrestling guy, somebody in there that was backing wrestling. I want it on TV. I want it to get better. I want it to shine. And to me, it sounded like an incredible proposition. So he gets the opportunity to be the big boss, but eventually this relationship starts to crumble a little bit. Um, David Crockett is on record as saying, I think Eric and Rick got along for a period of time, but then Eric's ego seemed to get in the way. He was a creative person, but he put himself on television. He made himself the boss of the NWO after a while, and he wasn't able to step back and keep things at arm's length. It was just like dusty. And Hogan was Eric's guy. So Rick was left as the weak sister. As one of the boys, what was your reaction to seeing that Eric is now making himself a, a television character and, and making himself the quote unquote boss of the NWO? Double-edged sword. Um, the story itself that the boss of the company had now jumped ship and was NWO for the wrestling fan sitting there going, Jesus Christ, that's going to wield a lot of power out of the WCW guys going to be able to, to keep up with that. When he has all that stroke, they know he's the boss. He's going to be able to pull a ton of strings to get the advantage. You know, how is WCW going to survive? And that would have been my concerns as a wrestling fan. Um, now, is it easy to get caught up when you got full arenas and they're booing the piss out of you? And the NWO guys, some nights, they were the baby faces. Some nights, they were the heels. And there was trash being thrown on, on them. They were getting trash thrown on them. It, it was... It got pretty hairy, you know, a lot of nights. Uh, but if you're, if you're in that position as a human being and you've never been in that position before and Eric as talent had never been in that position before, to be that hot and be a part of that red hot crowd each and every television show I imagine it would take over. It would sway your thought process a little bit. It would be hard to always do the right thing company-wise for, for the business when you feel like this NWO, which is you know your creation, is on fire and it's kicking ass and it ain't broke, then why not support it 100%? I can see that, obviously. Do, you, do I think sometimes that might have clouded some of his Big decisions? Maybe. I mean, time will tell. Who knows? We were very, very successful as a company, and that's really all that mattered at the time. But when you're, you know, after the shows, making towns, riding along with the other boys, grab a six-pack of beer, you're going to rebook the territory, as we fans have always heard. Um, I mean, is this is this stuck in anybody's crawl? Are you hearing from Rick about this? You know, we've heard the... Rick was pretty vocal once upon a time with the way Dusty uh, was booking him and the horseman to win or I guess not win and Jim Crockett promotions. Was there any frustration 
uh, on the, the, the account of, well, goddamn, now the boss is the top heel. If you know Rick and you really know Rick, this will make sense to you. Um, Rick, and I've said in, in previous podcasts, was one of the only guys to have a relationship and a real relationship with Jimmy Crockett, besides Dusty. A lot of that was sparring back and forth between Dusty and Rick to get Jimmy's attention and be Jimmy's best buddy. I think Rick, he was so high on Eric that when he brought, you know, helped in his mind, and and it was probably accurate, he pushed for Eric. Eric got the job because Rick had a lot of influence. Rick wanted to be Eric's number one guy. And when Hogan arrived, that took a lot of the steam off of Rick and Eric's relationship. I feel like I think it hurt his feelings. I think it probably pissed him off. And, uh, you know, then they never recovered uh, because Rick was instrumental in pushing for Hogan as well. I mean, that little bit I do know. Um, so I was always traveling by myself and I couldn't have, a, you know, I, I didn't travel with Rick all the time because I had a different time. I had to be there and had to be there till the end and all that stuff. So I was alone with my own thoughts a lot of times about this and, uh, where the NWO was going company wise and, you know, how much was too much and maybe that wasn't enough or whatever, whatever the circumstances are, we're all Monday morning bookers and we all think we're brilliant. And so I had a lot of thoughts pro and con. Let's talk about what Chris Jericho said. He says, for whatever reason, Eric seemed to have a vendetta against Rick. Maybe it was because Ric Flair was the one big star he couldn't take credit for creating or buying from the World Wrestling Federation. I don't know. But there was definitely some heat there. And he gave an example. Before one show, we had a big meeting backstage and Eric was giving us this speech about how he was going to put Vince out of business in six months, guaranteed. And he knew how to do it. The rest of the guys didn't because Eric said, Nobody in the room had ever drawn a dime except for Hogan, Savage, and Piper. Ric Flair, one of the greatest draws of all time, was sitting right there, and everybody's kind of looking at him, and he just had to take it. It was a very bad atmosphere. And Rick says of this meeting, it was degrading. Eric looked right past me when he made that remark, and I never knew it was coming. I was humiliated. My only choice would have been to stand up and walk out the door, and I thought about it. And I thought about it every day afterwards. Were you in that meeting? And, and, and what are you thinking when you hear those words fall out of Eric's mouth? Yeah, I was in the meeting and this is going to probably sound funny to you, but guess who else was a little offended that had never drawn a dime. Sure. I felt like I'd drawn a few over the years myself. I certainly was in the mix of guys that drew some money. So there was other guys in that room that had drawn some money too. To just single those guys out, you know, hurt a lot of feelings, you know. And uh, if you if you put that in perspective, that was the that was the guys at the time that he thought he needed. I guess he being Eric to put on the pedestal, to feature in the meeting, to 
put above everyone else, but you got to look around that room and realize there was a lot of years of a lot of guys working hard. You know, we all felt bad for Rick because it stood out like a sore thumb. It's like you've got this uh, big thing that goes around now. Who's on the, was it uh, where all the presidents are carved in stone? What is that called? The mountain? Yeah, the uh, Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore, got it. Tells you how good a history buff I am. But anyway, Mount Rushmore, if, if you took a poll and you had the four guys and Rick wasn't one of those guys, it would crush him. Well, at that meeting, not singling Rick out along with those other guys as being a money drawer and a player, which he was. You know, he's one of the most influential guys in the history of the business. It crushed him. And we were all, our feelings were hurt for him. Well, and it would continue. Unfortunately, um, the nitro book has this excerpt. WCW was in Tallahassee for thunder, a weekly series that had already fallen into B show status. And earlier in the week, fans were promised that Ric Flair would make a major announcement on the broadcast, which according to various insiders figured to concern a four horsemen reunion. However, in an apparent miscommunication, Flair no showed the event. Traveling to Detroit to watch his 10 year old son, Reed compete in the AAU amateur wrestling tournament. Flair then missed the April 13th edition of nitro an episode hosted at the target center in Minneapolis. Six weeks earlier, Flair had signed autographs at a promotional appearance in the market, helping the show sell out within 48 hours. And the state's governor even declared plans to establish Ric Flair day in his honor. But before the actual show in front of an assemblage of Flair's coworkers, Flair delivered his own tribute only two weeks removed from the six fiasco Bischoff reportedly threatened that he would sue Flair for breach of contract as the room full of high price talent looked on the rhetoric grew increasingly extreme. I'm going to starve Flair Bischoff allegedly promised. I'm going to cause him to move out on the streets and everybody sort of has that same report. Wade Keller even says that it went down exactly like that, that He's going to make an example out of him because Flair's a liar and everybody gets, lets him get away with it because he's Ric Flair, but he'll never appear on WCW TV again. And, um, he's going to have to take WCW to court if he wants to show up on WWF TV, because we're going to force him into retirement, starve him out, force him into bankruptcy. Him and his family are going to be on the streets, etc., etc. Do you remember this meeting on April 13th at the nitro in Minnesota? Vividly. I'm a huge proponent, and I always have been. Family is sacred. They are the unsung heroes of this industry. Without a family behind you, backing you, patching you up, taking care of you, uh, running the home, providing a nice home for you, but putting you back together mentally and physically and sending you back out on the door, out, out the door to basically uh, go make the living. And uh, family to me are exempt when he said he was going to starve his family out too. That kicked everybody in the nuts because in my mind, nobody has the right to go that personal and that deep. I'll back up a little bit from that statement and a little known fact, but just to let you know, 
who I've been and who, I was, who I've always been. And, and hey, I've learned to live with it. But backing up to Tallahassee, the fact that Rick was not there to do that very important promo, guess who was down the road 200 miles on vacation with his family in Pensacola, Florida? Mm. Jamie, Janie Engel, who knew, had that information, and I think I had just said to her in passing a week or two before that, hey, I can't wait to get down to Pensacola and I need some R&R. You know, things are been running pretty hard and pretty hectic, and, man, I could use some time off. I get a call at my hotel as I'm laying out by the pool, Pensacola, with my family. It's Janie Engel. She says, Eric wants you to come to Tallahassee. Janie, I'm on vacation. Arnie he wants he said you need to be there. Okay. I go downstairs, tell my family I've got to leave. I gotta go do a four hundred mile drown trip. And when I'm there, do a promo covering what I think Rick was supposed to cover. So <clears throat> anyone that's ever questioned my dedication to the business, dedication to the company, um, getting slapped in the face and turning the other cheek and going on with it. That would be a prime example of who and what I am and what I've been. And now a lot of people are going to say, should have stood up for yourself. Well, that same family that I was have been taking care of all these decades who are the rock of my life, I would have put them in jeopardy if I would have just said, hey, I'm on vacation. I can't make it. A lot of people could have done that and got away with it. In my mind, I couldn't. So I just did it. Number one, my company said they needed me. I had a way to get there. It was going to be a three-and-a-half-hour drive both ways, run upstairs and shower the oil off of you and get dressed and head that way. Um, but that's a pivotal point in all this that probably is unknown until now. If it was known, it was underappreciated. And uh, that's just another piece of the puzzle. Let's talk about Tallahassee. Um, this, this situation with Tallahassee, uh, sort of comes to a head in Rick's book. He's, he's talking about Reed, of course, who's wrestling in this tournament at 110 pound weight class quote. He was only 10 and our family was really looking forward to it. And I let the company know I was going to be there with him. Eric was in Japan, but called to say that I couldn't go to the tournament. They suddenly needed me in Tallahassee for WCW thunder. The second rate show that the company aired on TBS Thursday nights. I hadn't been on thunder for a month, but now they offered to charter a plane to fly me to Tallahassee from the tournament in Detroit on the condition that I paid half of the airfare. If Hogan needed a plane, would they make him pay half the airfare? Fuck that. So I told the company, no, Eric fired me from Japan and then sued me for breach of contract, except I didn't have a contract. There was only that letter of intent that I had rejected. The company said that my absence on a single edition of thunder had cost them about $2 million, a pretty interesting number since I was still getting paid just a quarter of that to work a full year. 
So Rick's upset about this, uh, but he says Eric calls from Japan. So he has a similar story to you where he's told the office he's on vacation and you have two, and now they both need you here. When did you hear about the, uh, we're going to charter a plane, but you got to pay half. And what did you think of Rick's response that does Hogan have to pay half? I don't know that I ever heard that. It's just fascinating to me that, uh, this gets sideways so fast and it does feel like there's, you know, sort of different rules for different guys. Uh, but he's going to get fired from Eric over the phone from Japan and, and then sued for breach of contract. When do you hear that this has all come to a head? Does, does Rick give you a call? Does Eric, how do you find out? Is it just the grapevine? What do you recall? Well, that's the problem with the, with the backdoor stuff. Rick didn't tell me 98% of what went on in those backdoor meetings or lawyer involved meetings. Um, maybe it was to protect me. Um, I don't know. Uh, because make no mistake at that point, I was no longer a wrestler. I was in the office. I was doing a office position as a agent slash producer. And, uh, you know, that was one of those situations that I, I couldn't have swayed one way or the other if anyone would have asked me. So I wasn't privy to all those negotiations and all those dollar amounts and, you get a, you know, we'll get you a plane, but you pay half and all that stuff. That that was things that were lost on me. I just was not part of those conversations. Starcast Four Full Gear Weekend, November eighth and 9th. It's just around the corner, and whether you've been to Starcast before or it's your first time, it's going to be experience you'll never forget. Live panels you won't see anywhere else, and meet and greets with Cody Muda. Sting in the red, white, and blue face paint. That's the first time ever. John Moxley, the Young Bucks, the Jurassic Express, Taz, and for the first time, Jim Crockett, and a host of others. And just for listening today, use the promo code ARN, A-R-N, to save 50% off meet and greets. You can get that right now just for listening. Head on over to StarCast. It's going to be a blast. And get your meet and greets 50% off just by entering in the promo code ARN at StarCast.com. We'll see you there. Let's talk about um, the whether or not he asked for the day off. And I know this sounds silly and, and like a tiny point, but you just gave a great example where you had mentioned to Janie Ingle that you're going to be on vacation with your family. Well, Flair says he asked for the week, for the day off weeks in advance. Bischoff, of course, says he never asked for the day off. Uh, this written by Wade Keller. What is a fact is that Flair had no reason to believe WCW wanted him to be at Thunder until Nitro earlier that week when WCW announced he was going to make a major announcement on that show. In recent months, Flair had been backstage at several Nitros and Thunders and not used. And recently WCW began telling him to stay home and not even attend those shows. He had plane tickets to the Tuesday and Wednesday house shows last week, but a ticket that flew him home after Wednesday's show. If Flair didn't ask for the Thursday off, he certainly had fair reason to believe he wasn't going to be used. Now I bring all of this up because the letter of intent allegedly is a, is supposed to be leading to a three-year contract. Uh, that would have required him to be at all nitros and thunders, whether or not he was booked. 
but he hasn't been getting travel for those shows. So that's a little, I don't know, less than organized. And Wade Keller would say WCW is disorganized enough that they want the freedom to call the wrestler on one day's notice and expect that they'll be available for a nitro or thunder. And when flair, no showed thunder Bischoff began telling people he was thinking of making an example out of him. What that meant wasn't clear though, because Bischoff said he planned to keep sending flair, his checks, but not use him on TV. What do you make of Wade Keller's assertion that WCW was disorganized enough that they thought they could just give everybody one day's notice? I can believe that. I can believe it. My question would be, okay, Rick, when you booked that day off, who did you book it through? Who did you speak to? Was there an update between the time that you booked that day off and as it got closer, did you remind anybody? And that's going off of past history and, and past issues that you may have had with the company about things getting mixed up. And he said, no, but he said, but what's the truth? You know, what's the truth here? Uh, cutting through all the mustard, you know, who's telling the truth or did somebody logistically and honestly forget? Did he make it through somebody in the office who said they were going to write it down and never did? Who knows? Do I believe that, that things could have been discombobulated and people being overwhelmed? God knows Janie Engel in that office was overwhelmed. She had a lot of stuff going on, and she was the go-to lady for just about everything. So could I see that getting happening that way? Well, sure. Who knows? Well, there's one booking we want to make sure you guys don't mess up, and that's at www.arnshowlive.com. That's A-R-N, showlive.com. Arn and I are doing our very first live show, and it's going down on Saturday, November 30th at WrestleCade, right after the matches. Everybody enjoyed our Q&A last week. There's going to be a ton of Q&A at this show. And after uh, maybe a few light beers are in our system, there's no telling what type of stories you might hear. Lots of wrestlers from yesteryear are going to be on that card as well. It's a who's who lineup at WrestleCade. So we may have our pick of guests. You don't want to miss it. Pick up tickets right now for just 30 something bucks. You can even do a VIP option. Get to do a meet and greet with R and get your pictures, get your autograph, the whole deal. It's arnshowlive.com. And of course it's right there in Winston Salem, North Carolina, horseman country. If you will, arnshowlive.com. Pick up your tickets right now. You got any stories about Winston Salem off the top of your head? You think you might want to tease and get everybody ready for about Winston Salem itself or North Carolina. There's probably a few memories in there that maybe aren't, uh, podcast friendly, huh? Well, there was a group of guys that kind of went between Greensboro and Winston Salem and they commuted and they pretty much owned the front row of, of, uh, of ringside and those guys were as influential i would say short of the booker of the company those guys would take over a house show or a television taping and just steal the show love to talk about those guys a little bit for sure one of those guys is a great friend of the show bruce mitchell and uh he plans to be with us in winston-salem you got to come join us pick up your tickets right now orangeshowlive.com Let's talk about some more of this North Carolina crew. Rick wrote in his book, I spoke to my lawyers, Bill Deal in Charlotte and John Taylor in Atlanta and countersued. And we said that the company had underutilized me and that according to our own claim, 
Bischoff seems to think he has uh, <laughs> dictatorial authority over Flair. Bischoff's language towards Flair is rude, crude, and socially unacceptable, even in the world of professional wrestling. Rick will continue to say, by tying me up in litigation over a contract that didn't exist, he added WCW was scaring away potential employers like the World Wrestling Federation. And Eric would say, no, the contract was very specific. There was no ambiguity. <laughs> Easy for me to say. Uh, it didn't allow <laughs> Rick to pick and choose when he was to perform. There was a procedure in place to follow if anyone wanted time off. And in my opinion, Rick didn't follow that procedure. What happened was unfortunate. And Rick wanted to prove a point, and I had to prove a point. He drew a line in the sand, and I felt like I had no choice but to maintain my position. If I allowed Rick or anyone to decide when and where they could show up to work at that point, I would have had a massive problem. To this day, I would do the same thing. So these guys still sort of defend their position. And on as a business owner, I do understand on some level what Eric is trying to say, but this is also in an era you were there, not me. This could be rumor and innuendo where certain members of the NWO that were maybe more friendly with Eric would routinely no show house shows and guys were claiming injuries that maybe were less than legitimate and sort of lame excuses to miss a show. And as a result, WCW would even start retooling contracts upon renewal and it offered them the opportunity to cut guys if they didn't perform after X number of days, how would you categorize, uh, Rick's decision or, or Eric's decision to sort of prove a point with Rick, as opposed to a hall or a Nash or some of his other buddies who maybe missed some house shows. See, this is, and, and I have to apologize to the audience <clears throat> these days and dates and occurrences and all these things are flip flopping in in my mind right now because I wasn't there firsthand to know exactly what the truth was. This would be my question: Did Rick have a signed contract before he missed any of these days, uh, Rick, or was there was there one pending? Was there one signed? Rick says he didn't have a contract; he had a letter of intent. And, uh, of course, Bischoff takes issue with that and says, no, it was a contract. And I think maybe some of the, um, confusion comes from with that letter of intent. Does everyone assume that the terms of the prior deal are extended and maybe did Rick think, well, you can't really do that. I need a whole new deal. So it becomes very, very gray. And that's obviously the point of contention, uh, with the, with the back and forth lawsuit. Yeah, that that's, it's two guys interpretation. Now somebody had to be right in that. And until you determine was that letter of intent binding, then yes, Rick would be expected to be at work every time he was supposed to be. If there really was no contract, if there was just to me, a letter of intent is almost just like a conversation. If no one has signed it, right. am I all, am I off on that or no, because this is not my criteria or, or expertise. So until you find that out, I, I don't think you know who really is right in this matter. From your perspective, um, do you as a rule, and you know, this sounds silly, but it's worth asking. 
Uh, there is sort of an old school wrestler mentality where the boys look out for the boys or would it be fair to say that we could classify you in that category that if it came down to the boys or the office, almost unanimously, you would come down with the boys. You would have to be more specific on what, what the situation was. Obviously I've been accused of in my job and in my role being given a directive on this is what we want to do for, let's just say this match. And I will go to the talent. And if I've disagreed with whoever's in charge and given me the information that this is what we want to do with these talent and I don't agree with it, I will always address that with in an open forum who gave me that information and go, are you sure you want to do this? And here's why you shouldn't. So I've at least addressed that and addressed my concerns. And when I go to the talent, I will say, and this is uh, right or wrong, this is just the way I have to be. As a human being and as a guy with a lot of experience who's been there, done that, I say, guys, this is what they want to do. And when they say, Jesus Christ, why would they do that? That's dumb. My retort would be, well, I told them I disagreed with it as well. They want to do it. That's what we're going to have to figure out a way to do it and make sense. But we are going to have to do it because every avenue has been researched. They're not going to back off on it. Now, if that means I'm one of the boys, I guess I am one of the boys. But I also know that I have a job and a responsibility to the office And when it comes down to nut cutting time, I've got to take care of my job, take care of uh, what is asked of me, and and do what the office says because they're the ones signing my checks. And make no mistake, the other side of that is if you err on the side of the guys and you get canned, the boys aren't going to make your house payment for you. Well, that's true. And it probably didn't help Flair any when JR mentioned his name on the April 20th show. So one week after Bischoff has his public firing speech, uh, Jr. mentions his name just to stir up the rumors. And it even goes so far that six days after that, WWF has a pay-per-view in Greensboro and Jr. has told the story that he was actually circling the building, thinking about coming in and, and the creative that was discussed was they would introduce a decorated wrestling champion sitting here at ringside and they would go over and of course you would see Ric Flair there, but instead they would put the microphone in front of Reed Flair's face as sort of a a tongue in cheek way to get Rick on WWE's pay-per-view. Did you hear that story before? What'd you think of that idea? Well, just hearing it for the first time, I go back to, was he under a contract? Was he under a signed contract to WCW? Well, it's been, it's been many times mentioned in the newsletters that he never signed the contract, but he did sign a legally binding document entering negotiations, which would pay him 725 grand, uh, in 98 and 99, and then 500 in 2000. And that all comes out again, uh, when WCW files, files a very real lawsuit 
uh, for two million bucks. Okay, huge numbers, huge numbers. But my point is, if that was a legally binding contract and he was not allowed to negotiate with any other company, to have walked in that arena and sat down and been on that television, to me, would have been suicide because you would have clearly been in the wrong if you were legally bound to WCW. Am I wrong in that? I no. don't know. I don't think so. But I would think that would just be insanity. And you're also cutting off, you know, now if you do that and you alienate WCW to the point to where they just wash their hands of you, you cut down your negotiating power with WWF. So now, okay, I shoved it up their ass, but I've only got one option. What are you guys going to pay me? Well, they certainly don't have to pay you as much because you have no other options. Let's talk a little bit about what, what Meltzer wrote here. He says, as the week has gone on, more and more wrestlers within WCW believe this is all a work. Citing, number one, at the meeting, Bischoff actually encouraged wrestlers to call two or three people they are normally strongly discouraged from talking to. Specifically, he said Wade Keller and Dave Meltzer about the contents of these meetings where he's bearing flair because he says he wants his side of the story out and, uh, figuring that under the normal circumstances, if this wasn't a work, he'd just fire Ric Flair. And number two, and this is a big one quote, Arn Anderson was in the room when Bischoff was calling Ric Flair, a swerve artist, bullshit artist, etc., And he didn't react at all. Then again, taking the other approach, it wasn't Anderson's place in that situation to react. And if he had reacted strongly at the boss bearing his best friend in front of everyone, if this wasn't an angle, it probably wouldn't have been an intelligent reaction when it comes to his own long-term employment. Not only that, but if he had reacted in that situation, it would have looked even more like an angle. And then number three, a private contractual matter between a wrestler and Bischoff has never been anything he's made a big public deal about in the past to wrestlers and bearing a wrestler as marketable and legendary as flair to other wrestlers to the degree Bischoff did wouldn't make sense as the reaction was strongly negative across the board towards Bischoff for his diatribe. What do you make of the theory that, Hey, this is a work. Did that ever cross your mind? I mean, you, you were pretty close to the situation, but this was the company that liked to do the quote unquote, wink, wink worked shoot and Bischoff with the whole Pillman thing, just a couple of years prior. Did you think, you know, this might just all be bullshit? No, I never looked at it being a work again. We're going back to legal. What's legal. What's not to have that kind of conversation about starving a guy out and starving his family out and all that in front of his peers. I know it's morally wrong. I don't know how, and if you start to get into the nuts and bolts of this contract and all that, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can't discuss that with other people. Don't know. Just assuming everyone looked at me for a response. Uh, I asked the world, how are you going to win that thing? If I go, Hey, you're way the fuck out of line. That's too personal. I just said that to my boss. And guess what? A guy that's not even involved in it, that has nothing to do with it, gets fired. Because that's what would have happened. I have no doubt. So 
no reaction, you know, it doesn't matter what you feel. It's another class situation of where I just had to keep my mouth shut, bite my lip, turn the other cheek, and just, hey, it, it was what it was and, and how it played out, it was going to play out. I was in a terrible position from a reaction standpoint. You did a uh, radio appearance in the middle of all this and said, to be perfectly honest with you, this thing has been pretty tight-lipped. The company has its stance and they feel justified legally. And I guess morally Rick has his stance and he feels legally and morally that he's correct. Apparently they've come to a crossroads on contract negotiations. And I don't know if it's length of time on the contract or the numbers, the number of days a year they're requiring Rick to work. I'm real sure of that. And I think in order to protect me, Rick hasn't told me a lot. I know my loyalty to Rick is as a friend. And that's one thing, but my loyalty to the company is another. I have a job to do, so I pretty much keep my nose out of it. I hope at some point this can be resolved because I think WCW and the world of professional wrestling at large is a better place with Ric Flair in it. Boy, that, that lines up exactly with what you're saying now, huh? Well, I had no idea that was even out there. I don't even recall doing that, but that sounds exactly like the way I felt and the way I would say it. It's probably a hundred percent accurate. About a month after WCW sued Rick, Rick did actually file a countersuit in Charlotte on April. I'm sorry, May 18th. And he's trying to get a judge to nullify his contract, which would allow him to join the WWF. And, uh, it's pretty well known that flair could at this point return to WCW if he wants to, and the lawsuit would be dropped, but he's hesitant to do so. That's according to Meltzer's report. So it does feel like. A month in, Bischoff has maybe cooled down and said, okay, this is stupid. Let's just get back to work. Did you have uh, any idea that that does, I guess my question is, does Eric ever come to you and say, okay, listen, Arn, I've tried to put you, not let you be in the middle, but this is all stupid. Um, I want to drop the lawsuit. I want to get Rick back. If you talk to him, I'm not asking you to call him, but if you talk to him, would you let him know that? I'm open to a conversation and let's just let bygones be bygones. Or does Eric ever have such a conversation with you? No, no, that never occurred. And I just wonder what, what suddenly, you know, and, and not being able to pinpoint in my mind what was going on with business at the time. Had we hit a stalling point? Did we need a shot in the ass? Uh, and that would have been Rick Flair walking back in the door. I would think immediately, you know, what would have caused, the change of heart with Eric and unless I could go back in time and have the figures in front of me and what was going on on television and what was working and what wasn't working, why he would suddenly have that change of heart. I have no idea. Something that's come up over the years that I don't know if you'd be privy to, but I can't wait to ask you about, even if you say, I don't know about that. Shane Douglas has said during this time, he was talking to you. And you were essentially the middleman and, and having ECW negotiate with Rick to come in and have a series of matches against Shane. So in theory, ECW would run a show in Charlotte and Rick would win. Then they would run a show in Pittsburgh and Shane would win. And then the third match would take place at the ECW arena and Shane would win. And I find that to be oddly fascinating that that was ever discussed. The idea of. Not the WWE CW, but the original ECW that Flair would have ever even entertained that idea. Did you ever have such a conversation with Shane Douglas about this? 
I have no recollection of that conversation happening. Now, could I have run into Shane somewhere? And if Rick was still in limbo, that would have been a hypothetical conversation after a couple of beers, maybe, if we happened to be in the same place. But I don't remember it. Not to say that it didn't happen. I just have no recollection of it. It seems mighty far-fetched. But, hey, crazier things have happened. We should mention that come June, it's become apparent in The Observer that Flair's attorneys are just trying to renegotiate the terms of his contract. They want him to have less days. They want him to be reimbursed for the days he missed. They want to make sure that uh, he's not going to be able to be thrown away at some point in the future. Uh, they're just looking for more protection than they were before and perhaps less dates. And eventually Rick says, I had to sit out for five months without a paycheck while all this bullshit got cleared up. At one point, Bloom and Braverman orchestrated a meeting between Bischoff and myself in an Atlanta hotel. And like a fool, I met with them. Eric wanted to give me an ultimatum and implied that I could never possibly win my countersuit. He said, what the hell is a divorce attorney going to do for you? He's talking about Bill Deal, Rick's uh, lawyer in Charlotte. And Rick would say, Bill, one of the most respected attorneys in the United States has always been known to kick ass and take names later. And John Taylor is equally tough when he needs to be. They're both brilliant lawyers. And eventually, um, (laughs) fuck you. I told Bischoff. And Eric stood up and started to yell. I didn't even bother listening. I just left the room. So this is fascinating to me that we get a meeting in the mines. They finally meet in an Atlanta hotel. It feels like this is going to come together. And then it ends in fuck you, fuck you. Did you know about this meeting with Bischoff before he finally comes back? No, no. Let's see. And again, I feel like the audience members are sitting home right now taking hot needles and stick it in their eyes because what they don't want to hear, you know, these are such intriguing moments is for me to say, I don't know anything about it or I don't remember it. But the reality is I wasn't there. Uh, my, my question would be, however, if it is that high level of a meeting and the office and Eric are prepared to do this and and Rick is prepared to do this. If it works out, why wouldn't the lawyers be there? Why wouldn't they be at that meeting? We should keep it going here and mention that, uh, eventually, uh, Rick Flair is even a, a topic in the Atlanta journal constitution where they're talking about his contract and his dispute. And he's saying he just had to draw the line and that, um, this was too much. There was no mutual respect. And of course, Vince McMahon even chimes in and he talks about Eric's speech about Rick in front of the boys back in April. And he says, I think it speaks volumes as to what kind of company they are or aren't. That's the name of that tune. And I don't want to be knocking my competition too much other than Ted. I have too much respect for someone like a Ric Flair to ever say anything derogatory about him to anybody. That's the worst thing you can do. It's bad for morale. If he's going to walk into a locker room and knock an icon like Ric Flair, who's done so much for this business that just doesn't make sense. And he would also say he would love to have Rick be a part of the WWF. At any point, did you think, Hey, it wouldn't surprise me if Rick wound up in the WWF or were you always in the back of your mind, pretty confident that this thing would work out? 
Well, he had always said to me that, that his career would not be complete until he had went to the show. Tully and I had already been there. Uh, it's the one thing that was missing on his resume was to probably go wrestle Steve Austin on a, on a pay-per-view at WrestleMania, something of that nature, just, just knowing Rick and his ego. And, hey, I don't doubt him and, and don't blame him a bit. My God, I'd like to have that same dream myself. Um, and I also know that Vince McMahon is very charming. You can walk in the room ready for your head to blow off, mad at him about something that has occurred, and have a 10-minute conversation with him. And when you go back out the door, you're floating about three feet above the ground. He has that ability. So he would have been so smart to have done that at that time because I can assure you that conversation about starving your family out and all that, that did make the wrestler great, uh, great, great vine and, and the wrestler hotline. And everybody in the business knew about it inside of a week. And that's pretty stout. You know, you don't get much heavier than that. Um, so it did make the rounds, and uh, and Vince was right there to, to, to say the right thing at the right time. Well, of course, at this point, Rick already has been in the WWF before, and he had been WWF champion. But this is before the business was white hot like it is. And it does make sense that Rick would want to work with a Steve Austin or something like that. But, of course, we know. It's not going to happen. Ultimately, cooler hell, cooler heads do prevail. Wade Keller would write about it, as would uh, Dave Meltzer. Dave would write, after a legal battle that has stretched nearly five months, it is largely believed that Ric Flair will return to World Championship Wrestling within the next two weeks, most likely on the September 14th Nitro in Greenville, South Carolina. Flair had been at legal odds with WCW since early April when he missed a thunder taping in Tallahassee where the plan was to have him announce the new four horsemen, which was going to include himself, Lex Luger, Bill Goldberg, and Kevin Green, managed by Arn Anderson. As times and ideas change, his probable return would also be to announce the new four horsemen, which this time would consist of Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, and at least for the present, Steve McMichael. Although many names have been considered for the spot, including Eddie Guerrero, and get this, Barry Windham also managed by Arn Anderson. So there's a lot to unpack here. We'll go piece by piece. One, uh, does Rick call and tell you, Hey, double a, I got it worked out. I'm coming back to work. Or do you find out another way? Um, I, I think he probably called me and said, I'm probably going to be heading back down that way sometime. When you sounds right, sounds right. You were an agent at the time. Did you ever hear? that maybe the, the announcement in April, the one you were supposed to come up and make in Tallahassee was that Lex Luger, Bill Goldberg, and Kevin green were going to be the other members of the horsemen. Where did that information come from? Dave Meltzer's wrestling observer newsletter. Whoever gave that information to Dave was setting them up. Okay. That's the most absurd. Let me think about this Conrad. Think about it. The four horsemen were already watered down to the point of, you know, other than just good performances, meant nothing. Now, you think you're going to keep Kevin Green on a 250-day-a-year schedule? Not happening. Why would you take Bill Goldberg, your number one attraction, 
babyface <laughs> and put him in that group. Who did they say the other two? Lex Luger and Rick. Been there, done that. Lex. Who was the other one? Uh, Rick Flair. Okay. I don't know who set Dave up, but somebody set him up with that information. That was never discussed. That would have been the belly laugh that went on amongst the talent. If they would have suggested that would have been ridiculous. I mean, it's that never happened. I can assure you if I was going to bet my house and my vehicles and the 50 bucks that got hit in my wallet, that never happened. Yeah, that to me always stuck out like uh, a bit of fantasy booking. But the new announcement it's made here is is this going to be Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, and Stephen Michael? And we know that to be true. But the other names that were considered, Barry Windham. Now, Barry Windham, uh, you know, obviously was a member of the Horseman, but gosh, that was more than 10 years prior to this. And at this point, um, I don't know that Windham was in quote unquote prime time condition. Do you remember Windham being discussed? No, uh, Eddie Guerrero, that one sticks out like a sore thumb. Not, I mean, nope. not for the obvious no. reasons either. No. Uh, yeah. It's just, uh, it's weird that those are, those are in the list. Um, right. Like, I mean, those, those four guys, uh, I mean, Kevin green and all that. I mean, that, that is, that is so discombobulated. Whoever put that out there. It's like, it had to be a setup to just see who was going to bite. Wade Keller would say with legal bills stacking up and mixed signals coming out of the WWF Flair has come to tentative terms to return to WCW the day after fall brawl, September 14th, it would make the 49 year old Flair's first appearance on television in six months, WCW and Bischoff reached out to Flair Bischoff had been trying to mend fences with people whom he treated poorly in the past. And with raw establishing a winning streak against nitro after WrestleMania, Flair was seen initially as a potential key to returning Nitro to the number one spot. In a strange twist in the latest development in the Flair situation, Flair has told reporters this past week that neither he nor WCW have dropped their lawsuits against each other despite their agreement to work together again starting this Monday. WCW continued to pay Flair during his time off to avoid breaching his contract, so the idea that Flair couldn't afford the legal expenses of fighting the lawsuit seems strange. Flair's return is being presented behind the scenes as if it's going to be a quote unquote trial run where Flair and Bischoff see if they can work together. Do you remember hearing that, that this was uh, Hey, we're going to try it, but this thing's so tumultuous that it may not be long for this world. Did I just hear that Rick was paid during the five months? Yes. He was off. Wasn't it earlier stated that he didn't get paid for five months? Flair wrote in his book, he didn't get paid for five months. The newsletter say he got paid the whole time. See, that's another one of those huge discrepancies. Who, who do you believe? You know, who do you believe? I do know this. They knew Rick was coming back prior to letting any of us know because we had an angle to where Dean Malenko was going to become a horseman. And we had a pretty well laid out month or six week tease to all of that. Uh, we had Benoit and we had Mongo already in place and we had a nice little story that was going to culminate in Greenville that night that we put the horsemen together and we made Dean Malenko horsemen. So the powers that be and the people in creative had to know about this four or five weeks before it went down. 
or we wouldn't have been doing that TV. I don't think they would have put Dean in place unless they knew where they were going to have Rick. Rick is also on record as saying every day, Arn would call me up. Come on, Rick. We need you here. Ultimately that had an impact. When I finally came back to work, I simply agreed to extend my old contract for four more years. I just couldn't hold out for 1.5 million when Arn was trying to keep the horsemen together. Your response. I wasn't trying to keep them together. I was being told that we need the horsemen. Um, I wouldn't have went to bat for another version of it, to be honest with you. Or I really wouldn't because I think it had, even though Dean Malenko made a great horseman, so did Chris Benoit, and I love Mongo, and Mongo was that character that you needed to just kind of cap things off. But it wasn't me pushing for it, and it wasn't me – um, it wasn't my idea. Let me put it to you this way. I, I just thought it would run its course. And I did call him a couple of times and tell him, Hey man, you know, if we're going to go with this, let's go with it and let's, you know, get on back here and let's get started. I did. I did call him once or twice on that. I wasn't calling him every day, hounding him. That's for sure. Well, I'll tell you this. The, uh, one thing I know for sure is your idea is orangeshirts.com. That's a R N S H I R T S orangeshirts.com. We've got a couple of new ones this week. Every dog does not have its day. A great version of the world television title that instead of saying NWA at the top says a R N. And we talked about last week that that is essentially orange world title and made famous by our Bluetooth commercials, the human hat rack shirt, which I know is going to be a big hit. And of course it's black with the blue imprint just for our friends over at blue shoe. Uh, you've also got the super Olympia shirt. You got the toot toot shirt, the four horsemen shirt, and maybe my favorite, the expressions of Arn, which is just hysterical, but I even saw a clip recently of you delivering a spine buster, wearing a shirt that says arrive spine buster leave. That's correct. I am proud of all these shirts. Not Number one, they are so different. They all have a message. They're all cute. They're all funny. And uh, somebody, I don't know who, that's behind all these cool shirts has really captured the imagination of the fans because talking about the podcast is one thing they love, and they're all ordering the T-shirts. So... Somebody has stumbled up on something, <coughs> Conrad. Well, I appreciate that. You're going to love these shirts. Check them out for yourself. Orangeshirts.com is the place to pick them up. You're going to be glad you did. And of course, we're talking about our friends over at Blue Chew. And I think that's probably the hot spot for a lot of our listeners every week to figure out how in the world Arn Anderson is going to tell them about the miracle that is the world's first chewable that has the same active ingredient as both uh, Viagra and Cialis. But because it's a chewable, it can work faster and you can take it on an empty stomach. But how about this? It's cheaper than those other two because you get to skip the in-person doctor visit and you don't have to go have an awkward conversation at the pharmacy. No, no. It's shipped directly to you in a discreet package and it's made right here in the USA. Why wouldn't you do this? Chew it and do it. Don't take our word for it. Try it right now for free. Just go to bluechew.com. You'll work with an online physician right there who will help you find the right active ingredient and right dosage for you. And if you qualify, you'll be prescribed very quickly and your shipment is free at bluechew.com. You just pay for the $5 shipping and your first order is free. All you've got to do is use our promo code ARN, A-R-N. It's that easy. And you're going to get hooked up bluechew.com. 
Use that promo code ARN, A-R-N, and for five bucks shipping, man, we're going to give your gimmick the hot tag. Well, and one thing we've established, taking a blue chew is like a slap in the face as far as getting you to attention. Okay? We've established that. Now, this is just an FYI for all you folks out there because what we haven't discussed is how do you figure out and establish who the significant other is of a Blue Chew user? Well, I've got a couple of things for you to look for, okay? Number one, she is smiling like a mule eating briars. A fixed smile is on her face. Number two, she is following her man around like he owes her money. That's number two. And the big telltale sign is she's walking with a slight limp. <laughs> That's how you know how you are the significant other of a Blue Chew user. There you go. Check it out. BlueChew.com. Use our promo code ARN, A-R-N, and uh, whew, you're going to be tickled with the results. Well, let's talk about the day, man. We're finally here. It's coming back. And, uh, it's one of your more famous interviews. One of your more famous promos. All the horsemen are in tuxedos. Talk to me about the creative for the day. Uh, when did you find out that you guys were going to wear tuxedos? That was, was that one of your suggestions? It does feel very old school horseman. It was. And, uh, to make it special, I, I felt like it, it was, you know, normally I'm a blue jean guy, um, polo and a blue jeans. But uh, on this particular night, it was a special occasion. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I didn't know how much this was going to attention this was going to get, but it was going to be the last hurrah for the horseman, good or bad, win or lose. This was going to be it. So let's dress it up and let's make it as big as we can. And, you know, those those guys look good in Texas. Myself and J.J., not so much, but the other guys. And I wanted to give Dean Malenko a spotlight, too. Uh, I was, I'm proud to say that I helped get Dean hired uh, from Japan, along with Chris Benoit and Eddie. Went over there for a loop, doubled back, asked, told Eric he should hire these guys Took my word for it, hired him, was glad he did. But moving on, it was going to be a big night. It was going to be a special night. And the buzz in the air in Greenville, which is one of our better wrestling cities in the entire country, brother, they were all over it. It is a big moment. It is a big day. Uh, the promo that you deliver is just absolutely phenomenal. We're going to get to it in just a minute, and we're going to play it for the whole audience to, to hear and enjoy were there any other ideas for Rick's return that night or was it always let's let Arn introduce everybody, give the big speech and then just let Rick rip it up. Pretty sure that, uh, Eric had the same frame of, frame of mind that he did the night that I retired. I think, it, you know, the one thing he did trust me to do was get the story told and uh, he was going to give me enough time to do it. No one gave me a script. No one told me what to say. I pretty much laid it out myself, got with the guys, made sure they were comfortable with everything. And uh, that was kind of my baby too. It's a big moment. And uh, it's, it's, it's wrestling TV magic. It's one of those goosebump moments. If you're a longtime NWA and Jim Crockett promotions fan or 
maybe you're just a fan of the individual guys. You just know that this is something special, but I'm curious about the, the, the feeling in the air earlier in the day, since this is a, a little bit of a drive, not a terrible drive, but a little bit of a drive from Charlotte where both you and Rick live, do you guys ride together or do you come in separately? Came separately. And what's it like when, when he gets to the building, is he, is it all smiles, a little family reunion backstage or people uncomfortable interacting with him? What's his first interaction with Bischoff like, as far as you know, don't know, you know, Eric had his own office and Eric stayed in his office unless he came out specifically to take care of some kind of business, you know, different guys would dress in different locker rooms with certain people or by themselves or, or whatever the deal was. And everybody, it was pretty easy in those days to get secluded. If you went, you know, you open the door to a locker room, which there was usually more than one. And you, you know, you saw a group of guys that you were comfortable dressing with. That's where you dressed. And if not, you were going to find something else. And I think Rick kind of kept to himself. And Rick was a guy that would get a cup of coffee and, be out in the arena or be uh, in the hallway on the phone. I'm sure you've seen that once or twice yourself. Sure. Um, so it's like we all got together more so than Rick because Rick didn't have to play off of anything other than what he heard and what he felt that night. We were going to be trusted to, to just run with it. And uh, I did want to make sure that everything that I had in my mind to say to – Dean and Chris and Mongo and JJ, without telling them what I was going to say, I just kind of had bullet points. This is what I want to recover. You know, this is what I want to cover. And they were all cool with that. So it was one of those things where we weren't sitting up under each other all day. It wasn't, well, how do you feel to be back? And all those things, you and Bischoff get everything worked out. I mean, none of those conversations happened during the day. It was more like, Everybody was into their own thing. I didn't even know about Eric coming out on the end as far as specifics. I just knew that he was going to come out and and he and Rick were going to have a go. And I'm pretty sure that was just an ad lib thing too. The segment is huge. Rick's return gets a, a 5.4 rating, easily the highest of the night. It beat Raw head to head, which was only doing a 3.8. We're going to play that segment in just a minute and get your reaction, but coming out of this, it does feel like this momentum after such a big moment, it doesn't really last long. Eric and Rick, you know, let their real life tensions lead into an angle, which is going to ultimately lead to them having a match at Starcade later that year, which I can't believe, uh, Eric wins. Eric actually, Eric Bischoff beat Rick Flair at Starcade. That's a real sentence. And then the next night on nitro, they have a rematch. Rick would win that and then wins the presidency of WCW, at least in storyline and we're off to the races, but it does feel like this is a big moment, but not too terribly long after this, the horsemen are pretty much an afterthought. Did you sort of know that coming in and felt like this is really, this is it. I mean, you said this was it like this Coleman, this is going to be our last run, but did you know, and when you're standing in the ring that night, just based on the way Goldberg had caught on and the way the NWO was so hot and all the political behind the scenes wrangling. This is probably the last big hurrah, this very moment, and it's all downhill from here. Well, as stated earlier, when I found out about this, I didn't know how it was going to do. In past history, if you told me we were going to get the horseman back, I would have been 
tickled to death. I would have been 100% positive this thing was going to be good stuff for the company and all that. I didn't have any confidence in that. I knew that it was just going to be a placeholder for other guys that needed to get over, you know, and, and which is fine for me. You know, my career had long since been over. I don't think it was fair for those guys because they were, you know, Dean Malenko and Chris are so talented and Mongo was such a character, you know, and Ric Flair's Ric Flair. I thought if you wanted to light a fire under it, you could have, but I didn't have a lot of confidence that it was going to happen. Um, I knew it was going to be short-lived and, you know, they didn't build on it. They didn't, you know, throw some coal on the fire the next week and the following week. So it was what it was. You know, it was a one-off. It was a great Monday night in Greenville, and it was great for the people at home watching, but it went nowhere. Let's uh, let's play the audio from the big return, and uh, we'll get your reaction uh, on the other side. Because you have to start at the beginning, because tonight is a new beginning for the four horsemen. <laughs> oh, yeah. What could that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Now, when I was a kid, like all kids, people asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? There was no gray area for me. I always knew I wanted to be a wrestler. And when that finally happened for me, it was the proudest day of my life. And then in 1986, I started coming to these towns, just like Greenville, South Carolina. As a horseman. And my life changed forever. And the doors that opened for me, I had never dreamed of. And wrestling the greatest wrestlers in the world in a town like this and all across this country showed me who I was. And every day that I woke up since then, I tried to uphold the standards that we, you and I, and the rest of us set for ourselves. Then about a year and a half ago, I laid down on an operating table and when I woke up, Arn Anderson, the wrestler, was dead. And I thought to myself, how could I be a horseman if I couldn't be a wrestler? Well, the fact is, I couldn't in my mind. Trust me, everybody's gonna get what they want tonight. Bischoff. Eric Bischoff. So when I thought I could no longer be a horseman, Chris Benoit came to me first. And he said, this can all happen. And with that prelude, I would like to bring the other three horsemen down right now. Before we go any further, Chris Benoit, you got this thing rolling. And I'm going to go on record as saying that there's a finer wrestler in all the land than you. I don't know who it is. Your intensity, the first time I saw you wrestle, made you something special. You are something special in my eyes. You knew what it meant to be a horseman. You will carry that tradition way past the year 2000. Mongo McMichael, you're a hard-headed a lot of times, you're hard to be around, but the fact is, in my eyes, you're all man. You're certainly all pro. And when this is all said and done, 
If I've got anything to say about it, you will mean to this sport what you meant to the sport of pro football. Now, Dean Malenko. I've been out here yakking for the last 10 years about what it meant to be a horseman, work ethic, respect for the business, respect for each other, respect for the people that came before us. And while I was yakking the last year and the last couple of months, you were out there fighting the fights for the horsemen. You exemplify what a horseman has always meant, overachievement. Being the very best you could be each and every day of your life, whether you are sick or hurt or whatever the case may be. And it makes me proud now, I'm gonna say one more time, I said that you didn't get it. Well, I didn't get it. Because if there was ever a horseman, it makes me a little misty-eyed and a real proud to call on this day the finest thing you can be in the sport of professional wrestling, that's a horseman. Ladies and gentlemen, through the year 2000, we're gonna do exactly what all of you across this nation have asked. Arn Anderson, bring back the horseman. But I feel it fair to tell you, I'm not gonna be responsible for what happens next. Because we don't wear white hats. We're not nice guys. And I can tell you this, heads are gonna roll. So, said it. Be careful what you wish for, because now you have it. Oh, what a goof. What a goof. You know, I get accused of getting racked in the head a few times and having a little touch of Alzheimer's. My God, I almost forgot the fourth horseman. Rick Flair, go down here. Here we go. Today. Words just do not do this moment justice. Look at the respect they show the nature boy.
Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm almost embarrassed by the response. But when I see this, I know that the 25 years that I spent trying to make you happy every night of your life was worth every damn minute of it. Now, somebody told me that the horsemen were having a party tonight in Greenville. Could that be true? That the most elite group that Eric Bischoff said was dead is alive and well. Bischoff, this might be my only shot. And I gotta tell you, I'm gonna make it my best. Is this what you call a great moment in TV? It's wrong because this is real. This is not bought and paid for. It's a real life situation. Just like the night in Columbia, South Carolina, when you look at me, tears in my eyes, and said, God, that's good TV. It was real. Art Anderson passed the torch. It was real, damn it. You think Sting was crying in the dressing room like I was on TV if it wasn't real? This guy, my best friend, is one of the greatest performers to ever live. And you, you squashed him in one night. Then you get on the phone and tell me, disband the horsemen, they're dead. Disband the horsemen. Me, you know what? I looked at myself in the mirror the next day and I saw a pathetic figure that gave up and quit. And for that, I owe you, the wrestling fans, I owe these guys an apology. Because it won't happen again. We're real and fish off for the matter what you think. Yeah. No. You're an overbearing asshole. That's right. You're an obnoxious, you're an obnoxious, overbearing ass. Abuse of power. You. Abuse of power. Cut me off. Come on. You will it's never, ever wrestle abuse of power. You suck. You, I hate your guts. You're a cheat, you're a scam, you are 
a no good son of a bitch. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, that was that was the greatest moment in the history of this television program. Bar none. Bar none. That was the greatest moment we've ever witnessed. How do you follow that? There you that? go, man. Oh, what man. a big moment. What a big eyes. segment. I love Tony Schiavone's quote, given the time and date, you know, it's a special moment when, when Tony's that excited. Cause he was there for the beginning, you know, he was there from, you know, the, the dawn of the horseman and he remembers those days very vividly. What, what's. I guess I should ask, when's the, this is the first time you've seen that and how long? Probably 15 years. And you know, I, the hair standing up on my neck and I'm warm, got a little bit of a glow because again, like my retirement for me, that was real. And I think for everybody in that audience, it was real. I think it spilled over to even Mongo who I think is probably heartless, and if he has one, it's completely black, even felt something. Uh, because the, the wrestling fans will give you emotion that you never get from anybody else because it is so pure. They are so honest in the way they react. And, man, they were digging it. They were chanting, we won't flare, when I was going through the last part of that um part at the very end and when i you know um when i was introducing dean and and, and whew, man i'm i'm uh, goosebumps right now but very seldom in your life do you get to experience something that real and that was that real to all of us and when they started chanting flair and i did the goofball thing oh god what are you know what an idiot what a goof. What a goof. I forgot one. They smelled it and they jumped on it. And I said, Ric Flair, come on down. Very seldom do you hear that size crowd make that much noise. They love him. And it's Greenville. It's Horseman Country. And it was Ric Flair Country before it was Horseman Country. The guy's a god in the Carolinas. And uh, man, when he came down there and got in that ring, that kind of emotion you can't steal, you can't buy. It's a... Uh, something special for sure well this was something special we appreciate you going down memory lane i know this was a, a weird episode to talk about uh, but next week we're going to be right back in your wheelhouse man people love the q a so much that we're going to do it again next week part two if you missed your opportunity to ask arn a question go to twitter right now ask it at the arn show and use hashtag ask arn anything and then don't forget to tell your friends to uh, pick up a shirt at arnshirts.com and don't forget to come see us in Horseman Country right after Wrestlecade in Winston-Salem. We're going to be coming your way November 30th. Tickets are on sale now at arnshowlive.com. That's arnshowlive.com. And uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in this week and every week right here on Tuesday mornings. First thing, getting your day started right on Westwood One with Arn. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.